podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The first 11-a-side match was played in 1697. In 1709, Kent played Surrey at Dartford Brent for a sum. Cricket in that era often involved gambling, and more often than not, also match-fixing. The first laws of cricket were compiled in 1744. A little bit more than two decades later, Hambledon Cricket Club was founded. If one goes by folklore, Tom Walker at Hambledon tried overarm bowling somewhere between 1770 and 1790. What happened to him afterwards is not very clear. He was just not posh enough for anyone to keep a record of, it seems. In 1771, the width of the bat was restricted to 10.795 centimetres. Three years later, they decreed that the mass of the ball had to range between 155.92 grams and 163.01 grams. Obviously, I've used slightly different numbers than they did at the time. But the important thing is that neither restriction has changed since. But the wickets, however, at this point, consisted of two uprights and a cross piece. In other words, there were two stumps with a very long bail on top, right up until a match in 1775. This is Double Century, the podcast on the history of cricket. This season, we wanted to visit some of the weirder stories in our game. Cricket has a unique ability to meld itself into cultures, even outside of sport, and produce wild tales. So this season will include theatre, sausages, dogs, and perhaps the most famous disability match ever played. This episode is how we got our middle stump. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hosting a summer barbecue, a backyard movie night, a slip and slide party, serving up Aperol spritzes, Whatever you're hosting, don't do it without Drizzly, your go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Boom, hosting handled. Now, before you get back to folding napkins, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. To tell this story, you need to know about the people involved. John Small of Hambledon was no ordinary cricketer. Not only was he the greatest batter of his era, he also made it to John Woodcock's 100 Greatest Cricketers of All Time in the Times. His numbers in all recorded cricket read 3,401 runs at an average of 16.35. Now, I get it. The enormity of these numbers will be completely lost on most of you. But it's worth mentioning that back in those days, even reaching double figures was considered an achievement. In 1769, John Minshall had scored 107, and it was the first 100 ever recorded. Small would better that number in July of 1775, two months after the match in question, in fact. 
where he would score 138. But it could safely be concluded that barring Fuller Pilch, there was no batter greater than Small until WG Grace came along. All that aside, Small, along with Richard Nyron and Thomas Brett, had signed the declaration that restricted the width of the bat to 4.25 inches. Of course, that was a result of the monster bat incident. But that is a story for another day. Small was a cobbler by profession, and probably designed the first straight bat we ever saw as well. Earlier bats were more like a combination between, I don't know, a golf club and a hockey stick. And whether he was the first to design it or not is not clear, but we know that he mastered the art of batting with a straight bat. And as good as John Small was, Edward Lumpy Stevens might have been just as good with a ball. And it's worth noting what bowlers were like in the pre-Stevens era. They typically rolled the ball along the ground, think bowling alleys or Trevor Chappell's underarm if you need to. Some of them made it bounce, but no one actually realised why bouncing the ball might be an advantage. A Hambledon cricketer named Lamborn was, according to John Nyron, who we get most of our facts about Hambledon from, the first to twist a cricket ball. So you might think of Lamborn as the first spinner. However, Stevens took things to a different level altogether. In an era when bowlers rolled the ball on the ground, Lumpy Stevens flighted the ball. Better yet, he actually controlled the flight and pace of the ball. Hours of practice also made him a master of accuracy. Imagine this scenario. There was a group of bowlers who rolled the ball on the ground with no apparent danger, and then there was one man who tossed the ball up at the pace he wanted. He could bowl quite fast for an underarm bowler, they said, and then landed it with pinpoint accuracy. One must also remember that the pitches were completely uneven those days. In fact, uneven is not even the best way of putting it. Cricket fields were typically used for farming. There was no well-defined pitch, and the grass was mown using scythes. In fact, sheep were used to clear a strip of land that would later be used to play cricket on. And Stevens, with his phenomenal accuracy, aimed for the resultant lumps on the pitch, and he often managed to hit them, which is probably why he was called Lumpy. There was even a rhyme about him. For honest Lumpy did allow, he never would pitch but over a brow. Which, I'm not really sure what that means, but it's a poem about a bowler, so we're going to read it out. Lumpy Stevens captured 305 wickets from 83 matches. The incomplete scorecards of the day do not actually record the runs conceded. In fact, the way that we look at bowlers now was not how they wrote it at that stage. Overs maidens run wickets took a while before we actually started to see that for bowlers, because bowlers didn't matter as much as batters. But it actually gets worse, because during Stevens' career, if there was a catcher or stumping, only the fielder or wicketkeeper would have an appearance on the scorecard. Not the bowler at all, even if there was a court and bowled, which meant that the number of wickets taken by any bowler was almost always understated. So obviously today's scorecard read X court Y bowled Z. In those days, it was invariably recorded as X court Y, which meant the name of the bowler, quite often professionals from a lower part of society, wasn't documented. So we know that Lumpy Stevens probably took even more wickets. The game that we're talking about was at the Artillery Ground. It's in Finsbury, and it was the home of the London Cricket Club. Before Lords, it was the most important cricket ground. It was the first match with a recorded gate fee, six shillings. And as far as we're aware, cricket was probably the first sport to introduce the concept of gate money. So it's an incredible moment. You have the biggest ground in London, the best batter of the era, and the best bowler of the era, and they're all coming together for this game. The structure of this match was similar to backyard games or gully cricket matches, really. 
Travel was not easy in the pre-railways era, and the roads were bumpier than the pitches, and a lot of the cricketers had normal day jobs. As a result, getting 22 players together was not often an easy task. Single wicket matches were really common, as were matches with fewer than 11 players. The match in question was a contest between five players of Kent and five of Hambledon. Yeah, five-a-side game. It was a two-day contest, and we have a few broad outlines of what happened in the game. We know that Kent were bowled out for 37. Remember, they only had five players. Although, so did Hambledon. Hambledon responded with a formidable 92. Small scored 75 of those. Kent did much better in their second innings, reaching 102. So set 48 to win. Hambledon were reduced to 34 for four. That's when Small walked out as the last batter. Why he was batting as the last batter, I don't understand. But anyway. With Stevens at his rampant best, the artillery ground prepared itself for a battle of the two greatest cricketers of their day. This is Imran Khan versus Viv Richards. Harold Larwood versus Don Bradman. Jasper Bumrah versus Steve Smith. Except everyone was dressed very differently than would be currently dressed. And obviously the bowlers bowled slower and he was called Lumpy. And it was Lumpy who struck first. He ran a ball straight through the defense of the venerable small. Ball beat his bat and passed right through the stumps. And through is the important word here because there was only two stumps with a bale on top, as we said before. And so the ball went through the gap. And this was not an incident that hadn't happened before. But to happen in such a big match like this did change things a little bit. But that's not why we have a middle stump. It's because not that long later, once again, Lumpy Stevens beat Small's bat, and once again, the ball passed between the stumps. Oh, it didn't happen just two times, by the way. Later on, a third time would happen. Again, somehow the ball went through the rectangle behind Small and the stumps and bales remained intact. With those three chances, Small would go on to win the game. He collected the last 14 runs without too much fuss, and that was that. Lumpy Stevens was livid, and obviously so. He had beaten the best batter in the world, not once, not twice, but thrice, and still couldn't get a wicket. He demanded that the bowler be awarded a wicket when the ball went through the stumps. There was protest from the amateurs of the era on the ground that the middle stump would result in matches being over too quickly. Of course, one must remember here that the amateurs were mostly batters. And you're not going to be shocked that the people who wrote the laws were also mostly batters, who also were amateurs. They basically didn't want to go out as much, and this was a loophole they were happy to have. But Richard Nyron himself supported Lumpy Stevens because he thought it was about doing justice to the bowler. He also believed that while the middle stump might shorten the game, he actually thought this would make batters concentrate even more, knowing that if they missed the ball, they would almost definitely be bowled if it was straight. And so eventually the laws were changed. The third stump was added. However, here's the fun bit. It was optional. And for a few years, both two-stump wickets and three-stump wickets were in use until the former finally faded away through the course of time. This is one of the many changes in our sport that took cricket from a game or pastime and made it one of the biggest sports in the world. Lumpy and Nyron fought for cricket to be better, and it is because of them that we have the sport the way it is today. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports 
Social Podcast Network.